Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Overtime Buzz podcast. It certainly has been a while. Uh, it's been a wild week for the NHL, not only because of the new franchise, the Seattle Kraken, but we have some free agent frenzy going on. Oh, my goodness. The amount of money, term, just craziness thrown out at players was more than I think we've ever seen. Um, and I don't know how it was possible with a flat salary cap. But I don't know where to begin. So I'll throw it over to Dante. Uh, we're going to get into some expansion draft stuff. Um, Dante, let me ask you this. After you say hello to everyone, what were your thoughts on the expansion draft? Hey, everybody. What's going on? It's it's certainly been a while. I, I think the last time we talked was right before the beginning of the playoffs, which, as we all know, did not end the way that we thought it would um, after the Penguins coming off a division title, kind of flaming out in the first round. And we can touch on that a little bit. Um, I mean, they played pretty well, but ultimately, I think it was goaltending that shrunk them or sunk them. But um, yeah, it's been a while. We just had the draft, uh, the Seattle expansion, a lot going on around the league. Um, I can say that I personally was very um, frustrated with how the Penguins approached the, the expansion draft, and I say that in that I was okay with the McCann trade. Um, the Penguins ended up trading Jared McCann to Toronto, who ended up getting picked off of Toronto by Seattle um, for prospect Philip Hollander, who used to be in the Penguin system, was traded last year for Kasperi Kapanen, um, and I think like a seventh round pick in two years. So um, I was okay with that trade. Um, I, you, you knew you were going to lose McCann for nothing. I know going back and forth with you, I was saying, you know, I don't, I'm okay with losing McCann because. You know, he's kind of been a no-show in the playoffs. He's a very streaky player. Um, he seems to be just a hard player to kind of figure out, and he seems to get in his own head a lot. So I was okay with letting a player like that go, especially, you know, like what I mentioned. But I did not want to lose him for nothing because he's on a good contract. He has a good age. Uh, he's a 20-goal scorer. I mean, you, you simply have to have better asset management than that. So I, I was all right with that deal. I was not, however, um, very pleased with the decision to let Brandon Tanev walk to Seattle. Um, I understand the contract. I understand the term. It might be a little bit too much and a little bit too long. But that's a guy that, you know, you win hockey games with. And and in the playoffs, we saw it in game three when things kind of got a little ugly and teams were going back and forth. Tanev was the guy that scored the big goal at the end to win that game. So... It goes against a lot of what Hextall and Brian Burke have been saying that they've wanted out of the Penguins, where they want to get tougher. You know, they want to bring in some more sandpaper, some more grit. And it really baffled me that they let probably one of their toughest players go to Seattle in expansion for absolutely nothing. So um, that was frustrating for me. I know they've made a couple of moves here in free agency to probably make up for that, but. Um, Brandon Tanev is going to be very hard to replace in that locker room and on the ice. Um, you know, his energy he brings to the team. I, so I was, I was very frustrated, upset with that decision, but we'll trust the process here. We'll see what Hextall has up his sleeve. I'm sure they know more than we do. So, um, there's a reason he's making the decisions and I'm not. So, but what did you think? I don't know. I agree with you, uh, on the Tanev front. I really, really did not want to see him go, um, you know, there may be the, the downfall of the contract term. Sure, it's four years, you know, to go at three and a half. But, I mean, the guy scored over 10 goals 
He played penalty kill minutes that nobody else played. He was an absolute warrior. He knew who the sheriff was on the ice. Um, I don't know. He He's a guy that was a big locker room presence, um, just being that he was an absolute psycho. Um, but also, you know, the guys loved him. He battled. He didn't take a game off. I mean, he fought through injuries. And even if we were down 5 nothing, that dude was still skating, still playing 150%. And he would hit the living crap out of everybody. He didn't care. He flew out there. I mean, he was a guy that I really thought should have been playing potentially second line time. The only downfall was he had cinder blocks for hands. That was his only pitfall is he did not have the hands or just the skills, the finesse skills to play top line minutes or second line minutes rather. Um, he could have played with Jeff Carter as a center. Sure. Because all you got to do is get the puck to Carter. But Malkin's the kind of center that he couldn't play with simply because Malkin doesn't want the puck anymore. He wants other guys that can score, which is why Kapanen works, because Kapanen's just going to shoot. But back to Tanev, I don't know. I hated losing him, man. It's definitely not the outcome I was looking for. Um, You know, as soon as they signed Teddy to that two-year deal worth about 2.2, you knew what was going to happen. It was really – it came down to – uh, Tanner or Carter and looking at our front office, Tanner just too small size wise, but he plays so much bigger, which just, I, I just don't understand it. Um, so I agree with you there. Um, going back to Jared McCann though, you and I have very different perspectives on him. Um, I can absolutely agree with you that he was streaky. Yes. He would go cold for a month at a time. And you're absolutely right. In his 12 playoff games as a penguin, he didn't exist. He didn't score a goal. He didn't make an impact. But I'm of the belief it's very hard to judge a 24-year-old off of uh, 12 playoff games. I feel like his ability to score at a 50-point pace, putting up 20-plus goals, um, was ve- is going to be very hard to replace for them. Um, we're going to get into uh, some of the signings here in a minute, but um, you're giving up a guy with elite foot speed, very good hands, a wicked wrist shot, the ability to play on a power play. And as we watched once Malkin went down last year, be lethal on the power play. Um, and again, it doesn't translate in the playoffs as we've seen, but he's still only 24 or 25. I can't remember. I think 24. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think to me, losing McCann um, for seemingly <laughs> nothing to Toronto but then watching Toronto lose him too made it feel at least a little bit better. Um, we got back Philip Hallander, which was a tough price to pay for Kapanen last year. Certainly was worth it last year. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, it basically means you traded McCann, the 15th overall pick, and I think another pick for Kapanen. Um, I would rather have McCann back, but it was going to be impossible to protect him. So I don't know. I, I agree with you that it was. it's hard to see Tanev go, but I feel a little more strongly that we should have found a way to keep Jared McCann at a cheap deal like that. So um, anything else for you to add on the expansion draft front before we move to free agency and the state of a very stale Penguins roster? I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think, although I might disagree on which player I would have kept, um, I do think that Regardless, the Penguins and Ron Hextall, Brian Burke, they should have found a way to at least keep one of the two. And whether that's risking losing Jeff Carter because 
you know, and I understand with the Malkin injury, they may have wanted to kind of, you know, hoard their centers a little bit. But realistically, with Seattle, when you look at the Seattle team that they picked, especially looking after it leaked, well, it leaked out at 10 a.m., but we won't get into that. But um, when you look at that team, do you really think that they would have looked at Jeff Carter and said, we want him? I I just don't think so. And, and honestly, I, I think Jeff Carter would have given them the indication that he wouldn't have wanted to go there. So I think that would have made it easier for you to either simply protect Tanev or McCann, whichever of the two that you wanted to keep, and then trade the other before the draft like you did with McCann, and then just simply leave Carter exposed and let them pick between whether it was Zucker or Pedersen, um, one of the depth guys. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, it's fresh. It's hard to judge certain moves after a while. We try not to do that. We try not to be, you know, reactionary right after moves happen. But if you tell me right now how I felt the Penguins handled the expansion expansion draft, I'd give them an F. I mean, I completely agree. I think best case scenario, it's like a D plus. Um, but to me, with the expansion roster protection, they had far too many no-brainers that, uh, I don't know. I mean, Sid, Gino, Jake, Rust, Kappen, and Latang, Marino, or not Marino, I'm sorry, he was ex- uh, exempt, and uh, Dumoulin. I mean, there's, what, 65% of what you could protect? <laughs> and you had to decide between Zucker, McCann, Bluger, Carter, Tanev, uh, Matheson, CC, <laughs> Patterson. I mean, it was an impossible task to pick all of the right players. So I do give at least some credit to the front office that they had an extremely difficult job protecting who they had to protect. Um, but another guy that I would have left unprotected would have been J- Jason Zucker. Um, I feel like at 29, almost 30, if he was going to fit here, he would have fit here by now. Um, and he hasn't really stuck on any of the lines. I mean, he was playing third line, fourth line at times late last season, even with Evgeny Malkin out. I don't know. I, I think to me at five and a half million, he should be scoring 25 goals playing on, if not your top line, certainly cemented on your second line scoring. Um, I don't know. I would have much rather seen him go than really anybody else. As much as he's a great guy, um, that cap hit is not good. And it's certainly handcuffing the team with some new contracts kicking in. Um, and he would have made a great addition for Seattle, but Seattle's philosophy really did not seem to be players to win now. Um, you look at some of the guys they picked, you know, I, I said to you, uh, Columbus, when they picked from Columbus, they could have picked Max Domi, but instead they picked alphabet soup. Um, that team has more prospects from like Finland and Latvia that like, you can't spell their names without pressing random keys on your keyboard. Um, but when you see the guys they are picking early on, they clearly didn't care about this year where Vegas was like, we want to win this year. But Seattle's like, now nah, we're just going to play the long game, which, okay, that works. But, like, I don't know. There were some very, very good unprotected players. So I feel like if we would have left Jeff Carter, you know, unexposed and protected tandem instead, it would have been much more of a no-brainer for them to not pick him. Um, I agree with you that I don't think they would have taken him. Um, based on the standpoint, they wanted young guys that are going to win in, like, a couple of years. Carter's not going to play a couple of years. He's got, like, one, maybe another year after. Um, but free agency, different story. The Kraken made a splash <laughs> and I don't get it. <laughs> they, uh, they signed a Vezina finalist in Philip Grubauer. 
at like what six and a half million a year for five years. That dude was a six, yeah. That dude was a backup for his entire career until he went to Colorado, and then, I mean he popped off. But like, I don't know, dude. Seattle's baffling me. I, I the expansion draft, the Penguins did a terrible job. I feel like in handling it. You're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, free agency too, just insanity. Last what, yesterday, dude, insane. Yeah. The money, the term. I saw something that was like over 400 years in contract term combined and like $500 million or something thrown out in the first like four hours. Yeah, which was a complete shift from what we saw last October with everything going on with the pandemic and stuff where people were, you know, you had legit NHL players signing for under $2 million and a lot of guys taking the league minimum just jumped to a, a team to get a chance to play. So, um, yeah, it's been crazy. Um, I will say, though, about Seattle, whereas Vegas, I feel like the expectations for Seattle were a little bit um, inflated just because of how Vegas turned out. And when you look at their circumstances, like, I totally agree with you. Some of the guys that they picked, I just, I don't know. Like, the guy you mentioned they picked off of Columbus. Like, I remember I was watching the expansion draft. And nothing against this guy. I'm sure he's a great guy, you know. But, like I said, nothing personal against him. But they couldn't even pull up, any, like, hockey stats whenever they pulled up his bio. The only thing they listed was that he was cousins with Ben Lovejoy. Like, you have a guy like that, and then you have a guy like Max Domi who's available, who's still young enough where, even if your plan is to win two, three years down the line, like, he's still going to be in his prime at that point. He so, might be better then. Than he is exactly. Now. So, I don't know. It was baffling, but I will say they had the flat cap. Um, you know, the pandemic, everything going on there. So teams were probably a little bit more gun shy. And then also, just the fact that teams—they're not gonna—they didn't forget what happened back in Vegas back in 2017, when George McPhee pretty much fleeced the entire league. And, and you look through the, if you actually go back and look at the Vegas draft picks, right? The actual selections that they made. It's a terrible team. Like, it would probably finish at the bottom half, bottom 10, bottom 5 of the league. Where they made up, though, was with their trades. And when you look at the trades that they made, like, they acquired Shea Theodore, William Carlson, Marc-Andre Fleury, um, Alex Tuck. First round picks, which the first round Jonathan picks they used. Jonathan March, don't even get me started with that one. They gave That's him the one that I stand out every time or I can't get over. And then you had first-round picks where they got guys like Cody Glass and Eric Brandstrom, where they used those assets to then flip to get guys Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, um, you know, things like that. So I do agree with you. It's kind of baffling what Seattle did, but I'll also give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt where – you know, different kind of environment with the flat cap. And then also, I think teams learned their lesson from the last draft and they weren't too, you know, too afraid to protect fringe, maybe third, fourth liners, bottom pair defensemen to give away, you know, the Shea Theodores, uh, the Jonathan Marchessos, the first round picks, things like that. So um, I, w- I will add that, though. But still, um, I don't know. Uh, that's going to be and i think part of their strategy too was hoping that a lot of teams were going to want to dump bad contracts on them and they would be able to gain assets where like we've seen a lot with arizona where they've taken on a lot of contracts so far this offseason 
and oh in God, exchange for like salary's not playing anymore. Right. In exchange for like first and second round picks. So I think they were kind of banking on that, which hasn't happened yet to this point. So I don't know. I mean, like you said, probably playing the long game. Um, certainly they'll have an excited fan base, whether regardless or not, just because it's a new team, new city. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Well, the funny thing that I'll say, you mentioned Arizona, um, Anton Strawman, Louis Erickson, that's $11 million and neither one's going to play a game. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It, it's crazy to look at the difference in the league. As you mentioned, you know, we watched the expansion draft and Seattle had what, like $24 million or something to play with in free agency. Um, Arizona had like 45 <laughs> and then the Tampa Bay lightning have negative 18 to work with and yet are still signing players. So the point you made to me right before we started um, that truthfully, I'm I'm, I wasn't as aware of as I thought I was um, Tampa Bay being like negative 18 million on the salary cap. The Pittsburgh Penguins have two and a half million to play with, with another nine and a half going on LTIR. And they are not signing players. Like, sure, Malkin will be back and probably before the playoffs, which is, yes, a little bit different than what Tampa had with Kucherov. He didn't come back until the playoffs, but that was partially them saying, don't come back until the playoffs. We're not going to get into that, but. Yeah. No, you know, <laughs> that's just the, the very brief explanation. So, you know, now that we're into the free agency, in free agency, the Penguins have signed Brock McGinn is our biggest acquisition, $2.75 million over four years, which is only 750000 less than Tanev on the same term. Evan Rodriguez at $1 million for one year, which eh, it's a pretty okay deal. I don't understand the purpose of it, but it is what it is. He's, he's versatile. We'll give him that. Danton Heinen, very good signing in my opinion, $1.1 million for a year. He's scored at 45-point pace before, so that sort of replaces McCann. A couple years older, whatever. And our boy, Dom Simone. For what reason, I don't know. It's a two-way deal, whatever. He may not even make the team in terms of like being on the taxi squad or the regular team. But Sully loves him. Sid loves him. So you know he's going to play top-line minutes for absolutely no reason. And some dude named Taylor Fadoon. Don't know who that really is. He's on the team. I guess he has a jersey. Um, but we're sitting here handing out a combined $4.85 million to three guys when we could have signed Brandon Saad for $4.5 million. A guy who's a proven 30-goal scorer practically in the NHL. A local kid that if a team needs to sell tickets, they can sell tickets. And someone who has championship experience. What in the world is Brock McGinn, Evan Rodriguez, Dom Simone, Taylor Fadoon, or Danton Heinen going to bring to the locker room? It's nothing. They have never won a cup. They don't even know half of our team. Oh, Simone, sorry. Yeah. But like, <laughs> no, it's it's certainly baffling. And um, my biggest thing with with the signings, and I understand your point with Brandon Sod, um. If they would have brought him in, I mean, that, that would have been good. I mean, he's a top six forward. Like you said, local kid. He's won cups before. Um, probably would be a good fit in the locker room. They've certainly tried to get him before whenever uh, they ended up getting Phil Kessel instead. But 
Um, you know, my biggest issue with these signings, like you said, the Evan Rodriguez contract, one year for one million, guy can play up and down the lineup. When you look at that contract on the surface, that's a good deal, right? That's good value for what he could bring. Very good value. But my issue is the Penguins already have too much of that. And and it goes totally against what Brian Burke and Ron Hextall said they were going to go out and do. Said they were going to go out and get some grit, get some sandpaper, get some different types of players to mix around the lineup. Because when you look at this Penguins team, you mentioned it's stale. Part of the reasons why it's stale is because they just have so many players that play the same exact way. And when you look at the guys that they signed, Evan Rodriguez, Dominic Simone, uh, Dane and Heinen, I guess, I've, over the last couple years, and then Brock McGinn. These are guys, yeah, they play hard, but guess what? They're a little undersized. They might drive play, but they don't finish. And that's been the Penguins' exact problem over the last couple of years and why they flamed out so early in the playoffs. They just cannot get production from the bottom six of their forward group because they just simply can't finish because they have too many guys that play the same way. Well, while you're on the topic, the bottom six on paper right now, so that you can reference guys, would be McGinn, Evan Rodriguez, Heinen, Redeem Zahorna, Aston Reese, and Teddy Bluger. There is no impact in there to me. Not only that, but those players, they're all the same, around the same size. They play the same way. And, you know, like like I said, they just don't, they, they're unable to finish as well as you'd like. Like back whenever the Penguins won their cups back in 16-17. Yeah, the first time, in 2016, they had the best third line. They had Phil Kessel, they had Carl Aglin, Nick Benino. The second time around, Nick Benino broke his freaking leg halfway through the Stanley Cup final. Phil Kessel was playing on a line with Scott Wilson and Malkin. Like, you, you had different... You had Cardi, Carter Rowney on your third line scoring goals in the playoffs. Like, you had different guys stepping into the lineup that were able to finish. And, and like I said, when, it, when you look at this Penguins team, what do they need? They need different mix of players. Preferably players that have size. And And when you look at the players that they're bringing in, yeah, they've been tight to the cap. But like you mentioned... Tampa Bay was $18 million over the cap whenever this the playoffs started. And they're signing guys like Corey Perry, bringing back Zach Bogosian. Like, they're they're out there making moves. So there's no excuse as to why the Penguins can't go out there and make moves. They have guys that they can move if they have to. A Marcus Pedersen. A Jason Zucker. But they're just simply not doing it. And going back to Dom Simone. Listen, he's a great player. He drives play. He's a... A solid depth player. But the problem with that signing is, like you mentioned, Solly loves him, and Sid loves him. And what does that mean? That means he's going to be playing on that first line with Sid and Jake, exactly where he doesn't need to be. And that's why I have the biggest issue with them bringing him back, is because it just invites the idea for that to happen, because you know it's going to happen. Well, I mean, he's an analytics darling, didn't you know? Like, he possesses the puck, he's fast, he certainly knows how to play with Sid and feed Sid in the middle of the ice. But who cares? Well, what's, his, what's, his, what's his issue? What, what can he, he do? He can't score. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, you and I used to sit there and watch games, and he would miss wide open nets by like five feet. And he'd be inside of 10 feet from the net. 
I'm not a professional hockey player. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I bet you, if you give me 10 pucks from 10 feet, I can hit the net at least eight out of 10 times. And if I miss, it's probably a post. I mean, I played a little when I was you know younger and I know how to shoot a puck. So like, you know, it's not the most difficult thing in the world. And he's missing them like five feet high. Like he's using a lob wedge instead of like a four iron. The dude literally just has to keep the puck on the ice. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to roof things. Like you don't have to roof a puck from two feet, dude. Put it in the net. Like it was times where it was like a game tying goal or a go ahead goal. And he's trying to roof this thing. Like just put it in the net. It doesn't have to be fancy. Sid's putting it on a silver freaking platter. And then he'll go and score some like disgusting, stupid, no angle goal that shouldn't go in. Like the size is the size of a keyhole and he's fitting a puck through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, baffling. I just look at this team. You subtract Brandon Tanev. You subtract Jared McCann. Frees up five and a half million dollars for you. I know the Marino extension kicks in, so that changes things a little bit. But and Ron Hextall gave this indication too that losing both of those guys gives them money to play with to get new guys, especially when free agency starts. So unless they have some kind of trade that's in the works that we don't know about, I just don't know because I'm looking at this team. You essentially brought switch McGinn with Tanev, right? So you still have the czar, the Zach Aston Reese which he still needs to be resigned, and the Penguins only have two and a half million dollars of cap space left, and you have to assume he's going to get at least two of that. So that leaves them pretty, you know, tight to the cap. So you essentially swap Brandon Tanev with Brock McGinn, who, again, nice player, good defensively, can't finish. What I would probably prefer Tanev of the two. So I'm going to consider that a downgrade, although he does come $700,000 cheaper. Um, you swap out Jared McCann for Heinen, who clearly is the le- the less skilled of the two. Um, probably a little bit more responsible defensively, but, you know, like you said, he doesn't kind of have that, you know, elite um, skill that helps him stand out like Jared McCann's shot. And then you look at the bottom, you know, especially this fourth line. You're probably going to have to play Sam Lafferty and Evan Rodriguez. And listen, like I said, nothing against these guys personally, but if that's the Penguins' fourth line, they're in trouble. Sam Lafferty's had enough. He's just one of the most confusing players I've ever seen because whenever he plays on the fourth line, he plays like he needs an opportunity. But then whenever he gets that opportunity, when someone gets injured or something, he plays like he doesn't deserve that opportunity. So I, I just don't know what to make of that. And then you look at the defense, you lose Cody Cece, which I, pers- I personally, especially looking at Edmonton's contract, they gave him three point, it was a three and a half, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Cece did really well in Pittsburgh. There had to have been some kind of mutual interest there. I'm sure he would have given up like $500,000 to get down to $3 million to stay in Pittsburgh, just based off the season he had. And the fit. Mm-hmm. I would think so. So if that, I'm not saying that was the case. I'm just, you know, assuming. But if that was the case, there is absolutely zero, and I mean zero reason, you do not give him that contract. Because now you're forced to either play, you know, POJ. We saw flashes of him last year. But the guy's not 
that big. And again, the same problem with the forward group is there with the defense, where you've got the same kind of players out there. You don't have a big body defenseman that can stand in front of the net and move guys out. You've got Marcus Pedersen, John Marino, and then you'll have to play POJ. And, and we've seen when Pedersen and Marino play together, yeah, they're really good at moving the puck. They're really young. They're good skaters. But they get tossed around out there. And, and you see that in the Islander series. They would throw that Zizekas unit out there and just ragdoll them. So you're telling me you're guaranteed have. to get a combination of either Pedersen, Marino, Pedersen, Pedersen, Marino, and POJ in some fashion. That's not good. No, it's then, terrible. It's and, and then terrible. You have all of that combined with the fact that you still don't know if you have a number one goaltender. And I know that we've talked on this podcast about how we believe in Tristan Jari. We believe in his talent. We believe it's there. But the facts are that he probably single-handedly... Well, I won't say single-handedly, but he was a big part in why they got beat in that first-round series that they otherwise dominated. Another see, another reason, like I said, they got too many players that are the same way. They didn't finish. They got 40 shots and ended up with two goals against a rookie goaltender. That just can't happen. But, you know, you have to think how the team's going to respond to that. Are they going to believe in Jari? Are they going to rally around that guy when the playoffs come around again next year? If they even make the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and goalies are tough to, to gauge in terms of their development. So, cough, Tristan cough, Jari, very, Tristan Jari, very, yeah, exactly. Tristan Jari could very well still end up being a bona fide for number one goal in the NHL. I mean, he's 20, 26, right? I yeah, mean, 26. We've seen goalies come out of nowhere at the later 20s, early 30s, and go on to have a solid five, six year run. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he has the skill set, like we've mentioned. So, he could very well could still potentially be a number one goalie in this league. The problem is, is he right now? And if he's not, they need to find another guy because Crosby and Malkin get older and older as the years go by. So we're running out of time there. Mm -hmm. When you think about, you know, I I made a note before we started, going back to the roster itself, before we get into the goalie thing even further, I mean, because you and I, we definitely have strong opinions about the goaltending. Um. I went back and looked, you know, kind of at our roster and our defenseman, Chris Letang is in the last year of a deal where he's paid seven and a quarter million dollars a year. Mike Matheson is being paid just under $5 million a year. Marcus Pedersen, the rag doll is getting paid $4.1 million a year. And John Marino is making 4.4. Now, if Marino plays like he did his rookie year, He's pretty much the heir apparent to Chris Letang, and at $4.4 million, that's a steal for a right-handed mobile puck-moving defenseman. That doesn't happen on the open market. Marcus Pedersen, on the other hand, is a slow-footed beanpole that can hardly get out of his own way. I mean, okay, he plays quiet defense, which is fine, because from a defenseman, you don't want to hear their name constantly. You don't want to hear Marcus Pedersen, Marcus Pedersen, Marcus Pedersen, unless it's oh, what a play by Pedersen, or, you know, Pedersen scores, or whatever. But otherwise, you really don't want to hear his name, so that's fine. But to pay a guy who plays bottom-pairing minutes is clearly blocked out to play any sort of top four minutes because you got Brian Dumoulin on the left. That's not going to happen. 
Mike Matheson makes more money, but is far more elite in terms of athleticism, size, and just ability. And a guy pushing him in POJ, certainly not much different body size wise, as you mentioned, but there's no reason to keep that contract on the books when you're cap strapped as it is. And and you're looking to upgrade your size and your physicality. I mean, like you said, Cody Cece, man, like he needed to be here. Like that was the only dude that had any sort of sandpaper and willingness to just get in front of people and bash their face in. And he didn't even really do that. I don't know. And, and forward wise, I already talked about Jason Zucker. Jake Gensel makes six million a year. I mean, he's a forty goal scorer, which six million is practically the Johnny Goudreau contract, so that's fine if he keeps scoring at least. Um, and Kapanen and Rust are three and a half or less, which those are some of the best bargains in the league. So, um, I don't know <laughs> if Marino plays the way he did last year. Um, four point four looks really really bad. If he plays like he did his rookie year, it looks really really good. Um, but I don't know, man. They got to move somebody uh, on each side, forward and defense, and it's got to be Pedersen and Zucker. I just don't see the reason to keep either one. The only argument I could really make for Zucker is that we don't have any offensive impact players aside from him, Kappen, and Rustin Gensel outside of our middle two. So um, it's, it's tough, man, because you brought up 16, and all I can think about is having three absolutely dynamite lines and a fourth line that was just good enough. You know, you were playing with Connor Sherry and um, Chris Kunitz on Sid's wings in 16. And then you had, who was it? It was, uh, it was I think the Kunitz was with Gino. Was he, he with was, Gino? Uh, who was playing I with Sid then? Hornquist. Oh, uh, that's right. Horny was playing with Sid. That's when Sid decided he hated playing with Horny. Um, <laughs> And then you had the HBK line, and then you had a fourth line of a Matt Cullen who just scored 15 goals in the regular season at like 39 and three quarters years old, practically a middle-aged man. And then you had um, who was on the fourth at that point? Rust was playing on the fourth. Oh, it was. Uh, wait, was it? I thought it was Fair and Kunakel. It might have been. I don't. I didn't think Kunakel came until 17. But either way, I mean, I think Fair played with Malkin a couple, a uh, couple games. He did. But he was... scored one goal that was like kind of important. Yeah, the Washington series. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, dude. Like, even then, that fourth line was not a line you wanted to play against. I, oh. To me, like, they got certainly Rutherford and Hexler are very different people. Don't get me wrong. But they got so far away from the idea of having four solid lines. Like, the Islanders have four solid lines. Certainly, they're not as skillful. But if we had that fourth line, it would be a totally different argument. Yeah. And you'd have Sid with a 40 goal scorer and a 30 goal scorer. You'd have Malkin with a 25 goal scorer and Zucker, maybe. I don't know if he'd still be here. Then you got a good third line, and then you'd have a dynamite fourth line. I just, Tough. I think a lot of it comes back to the coach, too. Um, yeah. Not well, just a single out the front office, but. No, um, but Mr. Play My Fourth Line six minutes a game certainly yeah, is how to manage a which team. Is, which is a complete shift, like you just said, from 16-17 from when they won the Cups, where they were just straight. Like, it doesn't even matter how many minutes Sid and Gino get per game. We're just straight up rolling right over the bench, whoever's coming up next. Like, one after the other. And I think especially now, like, that's going to be more important than ever as they start to get older, where 
you know, they can't be playing 20 minutes a game anymore. And they might not be That's partially why the Carter decision was made as well. I could, I could see that, but I, I'm a little worried that the Jeff Carter that we saw last season isn't going to come back this year, where yeah, it might be a little bit of a flash in the pan. I mean, I listen, Jeff Carter was great last year. Um, I, I think you can win with a guy like that. He's bigger bodied. He's won before. You know, he seems he seems like he's a gamer. Um, mm-hmm. but we also can't ignore the fact that he's 37, 38 37. years old. Um, probably in the last, probably this is probably going to be his last season in the NHL. So, um, whether he has a Billy Garen kind of renaissance run with us, um, that's yet to be seen. But you know, I, I agree. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what they can do and. And the problem with trading a Zucker or a Pedersen, at least now, is there's nobody left, right? Like, you trade that money, you trade those contracts either at the draft or get them to Seattle or whatever before free agency, and yeah, you might have to overpay someone else, but at least there's options, right? There's just nothing now, so if you trade those contracts, you're just opening up holes, Around more holes around the roster that there already is. So well, you're the other either... side of that is you don't have Brian Rust, Connor Sheary, Tommy Kunackel, you know, type guys coming up. Right. And yeah, you have Poland and you have Legere and Hollander, but odds that those guys make the team right out of camp Low. in their first years, I doubt it. And even if they uh-huh. do, I, I don't have confidence in the coach that he'll be able to play them. So... I don't know, man. It's it's a tough situation. I, I think pl- sometimes being patient pays off, but I, I think we're starting to see kind of where we might have taken a, a GM like Jim Rutherford for granted where, you know, he might do some emotional moves or he might do some things that are kind of rash, make some rash decisions a little bit too soon. But, um, you know, it, it, at least you knew, you had the feeling that, the Penguins were always going for it, right? Mm-hmm. They, you know, no matter what, whether it was a good move or they gave up too much or their asset management was garbage, you at least knew that they were absolutely going for it. And and I just don't know what, it, or if you can say that for this this group so far, like, um, because they're just being so quiet. You don't know what's going on. Things have to come out of the blue, and like they just. The moves that they've made have been minor, and, and especially compared to what's been, uh, you know, walked out the door. So, well, yeah, and it's it, it definitely goes back to that point of you've lost phenomenal players, or at least great role players, and you've filled them in with nothing. Like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> Danton Hine and Evan Rodriguez resigning, Dom Simone coming back, Brock McGinn. And Taylor Fadoon do not replace Cody Cece, Jared McCann, and Brandon Tanev. They don't, and it's not even close. It's just not. And I understand maybe trying to cycle players out like a McCann, like a Tanev, because, yeah, with McCann it's been three years and we're still stuck in the first round, and with Tanev it's been two years and we're still stuck in the first round, but... But who cares, dude? Like, you gotta fill in with the right guys, too. That's exactly when you bring in basically the same player, just 
different name, different face, different, you know, person. You you can't expect anything different. And and like I said, that's what's so frustrating, at least to me, especially the first, you know, week or so of this real off season with the drafts and, and free agency where Penguins have lost a lot and, you know, not that they've promised us any kind of chip. Well, essentially we were to a point promised some kind of change where you'd see a different mix of players and you'd like to get bigger if you can. And, and that just hasn't happened. And the Penguins are both running out of resources and, you know, there, there's just resources as well as things that are available. You can go to the store and there's just nothing there. So, well, yeah, I mean, the free agency dude if you weren't one of the first teams calling a guy you weren't getting him i mean guys were signing uh, as usual before the bell even hit or Mm -hmm. rung but like you're absolutely right and then you know like i said there's nobody coming up that is nhl ready like brian rust connor sheary because okay yeah you got to sign college free agents in that regard like a sheary you know undrafted guys but you know Russ was a third round pick and it took him five years to come up, but we don't have anybody that's five years ago draft wise. That's ready to come up because the guys we're taking are late fifth round, sixth and seventh round picks. And those guys just don't make the NHL. They don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at it late first rounders make the NHL almost less sometimes than early third rounders. And your late fifth, sixth and seventh rounders, my God, they don't stand a chance. Like Valtteri Pinks is like, the only kid we have that's even close as a seventh rounder, and he's still three years away. Yeah. But it's I, it's I, tough because there's guys that aren't coming up. You know, Drew O'Connor is young and he was he's signed. He's gotta be the closest all- one. He's got he's the closest <laughs> thing that we have to that. That's what I'm saying. Like he's the closest player to Burke's like idea of power forward, but like he's the only one that is a Connor Sheary or Brian Russ that's going to be able to come up mid-season with an injury and catch fire or come in in the playoffs and play a fourth-line role and not give a shit and just go out there and run people over. Yep. But even at that, he's not going to get played. Sully's going to play him eight minutes a night, dude. Like, where does that help? Where is playing Sidney Crosby 21 minutes a night going to help you anymore? When he was 27 years old and he was you know, right before his concussion, well, I guess it was more like 24. When he was 24 years old, putting up two points a game, 30 goals, 35 assists in 41 games, it didn't matter, dude. He could have been out there 38 minutes and your team was going to win no matter what. Mm-hmm. But now, playing him 21 minutes a night, okay, he's in the best condition of like probably all but three guys in the league and Crystal Tang's probably ahead of him. But it doesn't help your team. Because you have guys that are able to play the role and they're not playing. And if Genny Malkin, after this injury, he should see no more than 15 minutes a night. And I'm saying 10 minutes of that is five on five. The other five is if you have like eight power plays. There is no reason he should see 18 to 20 minutes a night. There's not. And Chris Letang, hmm. I love that he plays 30 minutes a night, but I don't know. There are some nights where I just don't think he needs to be seeing that much ice time. <laughs> yeah, you certainly get uh, your ups and downs with him, but God, I think it's just it's brutal. There's nothing coming. And, and yeah. I don't want to see a dark day for Pittsburgh hockey, but I don't know. I go back and forth. My two schools of thought are we are either going to be 
terrible for like four years and just lose everybody, play with a bunch of alphabet soup, and just have $30 million in cap space and eat contracts for two years and then draft a bunch of guys top five, or we're just going to like have everybody retire all at once, Sid Gino Latang, and we're going to gain like $21 million and then we're going to be able to sign a bunch of guys. And it's like, I look at it the way we look at the Steelers. You know, we talk about when Ephraim's on, like Ben's going to retire, but you still have like a first round pick defense, Mm -hmm. all first round pick defense. You have a practically all high round pick offense. Like you look at the Penguins, dude, you got a 40 goal scorer. Who's not even 30, another 30 goal scorer. Who's going to, who will be 30. And then you got a bunch of young guys like pool and leg and drew O'Connor this kid Tristan Bros, uh, Hallander, Bluger, Marino, Kapanen, Kapanen, like what are they going to do? Just get traded away for a bunch of picks? Which sure, that's Hextall's way, but he also has to understand that the Pittsburgh Penguins are not a team that can survive without ticket revenue. And the moment that team is terrible, they are going to be really struggling. And and there's nothing wrong. With, I mean, listen, if there's one thing, well. Penguins get a lot of things right, but compared to a lot of other teams, when they rebuild, when the Penguins suck, they absolutely suck, right? They they waste no time, and, and a lot of it has to deal with luck, I understand. They they sucked at an incredibly right time. Obviously, with Lemieux, we don't have to get into that. When you they suck tanked. enough, you suck enough. Yeah, they, 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 they blatantly tanked for that, I won't argue with that, but... Yeah, putting in a dude that let these, up like 14 goals a game for three weeks. These early, like the early 2000s, like this era, right? If you actually go back and look at it, it's it's a combination of the team just wasn't good and just like bad personnel decisions. So it was kind of like a they tripped over themselves into a tank where or a rebuild. And yeah, they got a lot of luck because they had that four-year stretch where you're picking at the top of the draft. And you're able to get a Marc-Andre Fleury at one and a Sidney Crosby at one and a Evgeny Malkin at two and then Jordan Stahl at two. Whereas you look at teams like Edmonton and I'm pretty sure they had a pretty good run of number one picks for three or four years. And they end up with Taylor Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Nail Yakupov, right? So, yeah, a lot of it's luck. And but one thing that the Penguins have done and, and I have faith whenever... Crosby, Malkin, Latang decide to ride off in the sunset. It seems like they can get the rebuild idea right, but but they're not there yet. I mean, they just won a division title, right? Yeah, they're getting older. Yeah, they haven't won the playoffs in a while, but they just won the division title in the toughest to sit division last season. And and the more that I think about it, I mean, yeah, they might have overachieved a little bit, but especially thinking back to to last year's roster. I just can't help but think, man, what a wasted opportunity that was because that honestly might have been the Penguins' last best shot to win a cup when you look at that roster. So I I, I don't know because they'll just, like I said, they had issues, same type of players, but they were deep. So especially when you look at this this roster and, and as it currently stands, you and I talked about it earlier. They are borderline in this metropolitan division on paper, sixth, seventh best team. So seventh. it's it's not even close. It's seventh. 
So the only team worse than us is Columbus on paper. And and that's with you won't have Evgeny Malkin for at least probably the first half of the season. So if they come out of the gate and they just stumble, they're done. Because there's mm-hmm. no there there will be no making up ground in that division. So no. I Well, I went I went and took a look real quick while you were talking. When we talk about the Penguins sucking and being really bad, <laughs> here's how quickly the rebuild went. And now I don't know if you're gonna realize this, but I didn't Another thing I didn't quite realize either, 2000-2001, they were 42-28-9-3 when ties were still a thing. 2001-2002, the year that they took Ryan Whitney, what, third overall? I think it was like sixth or seventh. Something like that. They went 28-41-8-5. That is a total flop from 42-28 to 28-41. Yep. Wins loss. That's not uh, ties and OT loss. O two O three. They were twenty seven forty four six and five. That's the year that they picked Mark Andre Fleury. Two thousand three two thousand four twenty three forty seven eight and four to pick Evgeny Malkin. Or no, I'm sorry, that was the Sid year because then the lockout. And then uh, that was the, that was the Gino year. They lost oh. the draft lottery that year. Oh right, but then the lottery went to the year prior to the O five season. The 0405 yeah, so, year, they were 40, 30, 7, and 3 because they had Flurry. Yeah, which is really interesting, though, because the Penguins technically should have had Ovechkin. But since they lost that lottery to Washington, that's basically how they got Sid. Because they so got an could, extra lo- an extra ball. Yeah, so could you imagine a world where the Penguins get Ovechkin but not Sid? Well, I mean, everybody's talked about that for how long. Said it could have been, you know, Ovechkin and, like, Bobby Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the dynasty doesn't happen like that. No, it's. Cr- I mean, it's crazy to think about how things almost ended up. So, but go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I was just saying. I mean, that's three years of just being an absolutely terrible hockey team. Because you figure, oh, 2000, 2001, they're actually pretty good. Like forty two, twenty eight, nine, and three. That's fine. That's good enough mm-hmm. to make playoffs. They were third in the division. Then the next three years, they were dead last. Go. I'm curious. I know it's a huge jump. Go from the was it oh five oh six season, say that record, and then the year after that. Oh five oh six. Yeah, the year oh, yeah. the stall draft. Oh five oh six. The Penguins were twenty two forty six and fourteen. That was the mismatch of all the personnel. That yeah. was when they. That was what you were speaking of when they tried to just be like superstar team all around. So everybody yeah, they you know, were, 22, 46, and 14. They were the first year picked, without ties. Yeah, they were picked to be a, they were like a Stanley Cup favorite at the beginning of that year. That was Sid's first year. Think about it this way. That's 22 and 60. <laughs> 06, 07, 47, 24, and 11. That's 47 and 35. So what's the point difference there? I know that has to be 100 points. Well, 47 is 94, and 11 is 105. <laughs> and 22 and 14 made for 44, so 58. So they went from 58 to 105 points. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's absurd. But, and, anyway. And to go 58 points, you had Sidney Crosby put up almost 110. Yeah, that's stupid. But when but, that when that day eventually comes, like I said, I am 
faithful and like I feel like the, the we have good fortunes when it comes to rebuilding processes. Yeah, it's going to be painful. It's going to be long. They're really, really going to suck. But you but know, you I, gotta, I have faith. You got to tear it down to build it back up. Right, and and, and that that goes back to this team because I just don't feel like they're there yet. You know, well, like, the only thing going back to this team that I'm going to add is if you're going to do this and you're going to and you're going to do it, there's one guy who's got to come back. You know who it is. Oh, yeah. The flower. I hate to be a Yinzer like that, but... I think he's got to come back either way. I mean, one, for the sake of, like, be there when it all comes crashing down because he was the first of those picks. I I mean, in three years, they picked first, second, and first. I mean, I think he's got to come back regardless because this team needs a goalie. Well, yeah, and he's on a team that he told he told people he wouldn't play for. I mean, what the heck? They have no they have no leverage in Chicago. We're not even going to get into that. That makes me so irritated. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess at this point, you know, as we mentioned, free agency. There's really nobody left. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much your option as a trade at this point. That's why I'm holding out faith for a trade, but I don't know. As the days and days go by, I seem less and less. Well, I mean, I read something today that Hextall likes to wait till August to do things. And I guess looking back, when, because wasn't he with the, the Kings and the Flyers? Yeah. The Kings were a late team to do stuff, from what I remember. And the Flyers generally were, too. They weren't doing things early on in free agency. They were either making trades or late moves or, or late uh, offseason signings. Which is understandable. I mean... Some guys that you might not think are going to slip through, you might be able to get them on a on better deal or whatever. But I mean, like you mentioned, dumb money was tossed out a couple of days ago, so those guys are gone. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you had Dougie Hamilton take sixty three million over seven years, and then what? Braden Point just signed for nine million a year for like eight years. Yeah, nine and a half. Yeah, like I don't know, dude. It's just. I'm looking at uh, the TSN free agency tracker. <laughs> Tuka Rask is at the top of players available, followed by Krejci, who was number 12, and they're both probably going to sign in Boston. Yeah. Brandon Saad signed today. So that leaves uh, Eric Stahl, James Neal, Thomas Tatar, Bobby Ryan, and Alex Galchenyuk as the best available before you get to Cody or Casey Zizekis. And now, I wouldn't mind an Eric Stahl. What? We already have four centers. That's another 35-plus-year-old center that is probably in his last year in the NHL. Right. I mean, that's like I'm saying. You got two – like, I wouldn't mind Eric Stahl, but we don't need him. So I'd prefer a Casey Stizekas or a Thomas Tatar, but that's only because they can score and play a different game. They just – like we've been saying, like they just need to get a mix of players in that – don't, that aren't six foot under, play really fast, stay at the perimeter, don't hit, can't finish, all the above. Yeah, that's our entire bottom six plus a third of our second line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but we have five forwards that can score, um, kind of hit, but I think we have three forwards over six feet tall. Zahorna and, because he's like eight feet tall, 
and then Carter and uh, Malkin. Yeah. That's it. Drew O'Connor, four. <laughs> <laughs> and on defense, we have uh, three. I don't Dual, know, man. Matheson and Pedersen. That's bad. The NHL is changing, ladies and gentlemen. You look at when we won cups in 16 and 17, speed, skill, small, skate circles around teams, play the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, the legs feed the wolves over and over. Then as soon as Washington won, it was Washington, St. Louis, and then Tampa twice. Heavy, big teams that just hit the crap out of everybody and don't care. They're still skilled. And they're still skilled, yeah. But you got to have size to win now. Yeah. You gotta have a, you, like I said, you got to have a mix. Mm-hmm. Our division is still going to be the oldest team in the league in Washington, but they're big and heavy. It's going to be Philly, who's big and heavy. Who's loaded up, by the way. I mean, good oh my God, if they ever. I mean, oh, dude, Yandel. That, that's also part of what makes me. That's, that's also part of what's making me so frustrated this offseason is watching the team across the state making all these blockbuster moves, and God. we're just sitting here. So they're getting, we're sit, they're sitting, they're getting a lot better, and we're just here signing Dominic Simone, <laughs> Simone and Taylor Fadoon. Yeah. That name, you, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> it's terrible, man. I hate it, but you know it, the sad part is we knew the day would come eventually where the Penguins wouldn't be the best team in the league on paper. You know we we go from a top power play of Sid, Gino, Phil, Hornquist, and Latang to Sid, Rust, Gensel, Latang, Matheson, or Kapanen. I'm sorry, but that's just not terrifying like the other one. It's certainly going to be an interesting month here leading up to the beginning of the season. I'll say that. No doubt. And I know that we're not going to be recording weekly unless there's big news. It might be like bi-weekly, but um, certainly uh, if you have anything else before I wrap this up, speak up or hold your peace. Um, if I'm Ron Hextall... I'm trading for Mark Andre Fleury no matter what. That's all I have to say. Hey, I can't argue with that. That logic is pretty sound, you know, as you much as go, crash, but you can go ten percent over the cap all summer as long mm-hmm. as you get under. If you want a player mean half of it. If you want a player, you go get it. You worry about the cap later. I'm gonna call Grim Rutherford up and see what he has to say. <laughs> Or uh, Rim Jutherford, however you want to say it. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised I, he hasn't gotten a job yet. I don't know, dude. I'm not <laughs> quitting on a team in the middle or the beginning of a season doesn't really leave a good taste in teams' mouths. That's true, but a team that you put together and then won the division. <laughs> yeah, but, but to me, that just shows that there's probably some kind of friction going on between he and ownership. Although we'll probably never know, but. No, um, he probably wanted to trade Latang for something, and they didn't want to let it happen. But I'm, st- I'm still, I don't know, man. I'm still surprised he hasn't had like not even just a head job or like an advisor job or something. But nah, he's also really old. That's true. But anyways, this has been 
far longer than I think either of us anticipated. Um, certainly longer than most people have stuck around for, but if you're stuck around, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Um, like I said, we'll get into recording a little uh, bi-weekly hockey episode here. Um, you know, we'll see where it goes, but um, you know, for now, we're just going to watch and see what happens with Hextall and uh, the, in the next month. Uh, and we'll report back if there's any big news, certainly I'll get something to you in the next couple of weeks. So um, it's been a crazy off season and uh, new season starting soon. Hopefully see some fireworks come up with maybe a flower reunion or something else. So um, we'll catch you guys next time. We always appreciate you listening. Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks guys.